That if he gave David time, that's what he was, by giving that advice to the king, to Absalom, would give David a lot more time. And he knew David, and he knew David, with time on his hands, would develop a strategy, a military strategy, and he would gather all, a bunch of men to himself, and that's exactly what happened. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. David knew just what to do to organize his army against Absalom. He set them into three divisions under the leadership of Joab, Abishai, and Atai, the Gittite. David was going to go out with them because he knew the commander belonged out in the battle. He didn't want to repeat the previous mistake of not going to battle when he should have. However, the people surrounding David would not allow him to go out to the battle with the rest of his army because of three reasons. His life was more valuable he could cultivate reserves if needed, and they understood that it would be hard for David to fight against his own son, Absalom. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues our study. Second Samuel chapter 18. You know, I'm not looking forward to getting out of this book. I'll be honest with you. This is one of my favorite places in the scripture. has always been one of my favorite places in the scripture. And I think the reason is, is just the amount of time it, it gives, more than any other king in the Bible of Judah's kings, more is spent about the life of David. And is it any wonder, really, because it was through David, if you go all the way back to Genesis, there's this wonderful theme that is going throughout the Bible, and it's the plan of redemption. The plan of redemption, that man was hopelessly lost, and God, before the foundation, it tells us in Revelation, uh, I think it's 18, verse 3, or 3, verse 18, I'm a little dyslexic, but it says that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That means that the plan of redemption had already begun before God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before Genesis 1, verse 1, there was already a plan. And we see in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman, singular, is none other than Jesus Christ. The seed of Mary, the seed of the woman, and then through that seed, through Adam and Eve, down through Noah, and then Noah, down through Abraham, and then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his 12 sons, one of them's name was Judah, and then Judah, he lives and, uh, and then he has many children, and through the line of Judah would ultimately come David, and God in Second uh, Samuel chapter 7 gives us, he, he, he gives to David the promise, 
the Davidic covenant, that from his that there would not cease a king to be on his throne, and that his throne would endure forever. And obviously we know that that, that, that throne was cut off, of course, but it's speaking of what is yet to come in the millennial reign and beyond. Certainly Jesus will come back, and he will reign on the throne of Judah forever, along with all of us. And, so you, and, and then you see you know, from David, and then you go down through David's lineage, and you come to finally Jesus. And then from Jesus, after his death and his resurrection on the third day, he ascends to heaven. The Bible tells us that he's coming again for the church. That's the next thing we're looking for, is for the rapture of the church, the seven-year tribulation period, and then he comes back, and it's recorded for us in Genesis 19, verse 11, that he comes back to a physical earth to rule and to reign with us, coming back with him, to the earth for a thousand years. Yes, a thousand years on this physical earth that we're living on now, a thousand years. You don't have to worry about anything. God's got it covered. The sun is still going to be shining for at least another thousand seven years from now. Okay, And then at the end of that thousand year reign, a new heavens and a new earth, the eternal state where all of us believers will, will live with, uh, in, in peace, and that'll be the eternal state. And that's where we will be forever and ever. Sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? But that plan was always in motion, and that's why I believe that God spent so much time uh, on David's life and just showing us that it was through him and, and, and the struggles that he went through. And tonight we're going to be looking at this area in David's life where, could you bring that down just a little bit, John, just a smidgen? And so we see David now, after his sin with Bathsheba and after killing Uriah, David, you know, ultimately, um, you know, the Lord tells him that the sword would never depart from his house because of the result of his sin. And not only that, but the, the sword would never depart. And so we're also seeing that. We, we've already looked at that. We, we've looked at you know, David's firstborn son, Amnon, how he loved his stepsister, uh, Tamar, who was actually Absalom, who was David's second son, or actually a third son, excuse me. He loved his sister, Tamar, so much that he ended up raping her. David, being in a... In his own, wrapped up in his own difficulties, he does nothing. He does nothing to Absalom for killing his firstborn son, Amnon. He does nothing. He hears about it, does nothing. And then, now, he finds out that Absalom is bringing an army against him from Hebron. Absalom, his third son, now comes with an army from Hebron and seeks to overthrow his father. So David and, and the royal family and anyone who would follow David, they leave Jerusalem. They leave the, the Temple Mount. And if you were to look at, uh, if, if, if Jerusalem or the, the Temple is here, uh, actually the Temple wasn't in existence then, but Zion is where David was, and that's where the tabernacle was. They left that, and they went down the hill into the Kidron Valley, and then they continued going, and then they go up the other side, which is the uh, western side of the Mount of Olives, they go over the Mount of Olives and go down the slope, down into the Jordan Valley. They cross the Jordan. They ultimately go into on the eastern side of the Jordan River, about halfway between 
the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, somewhere equidistant between there on the eastern side, there's a town called Mahanaim. And that's where David flees to with the royal family and those, his servants, many servants. And so David flees, and we know that he's ridiculed on his way out. And Hushai, who was a good friend of David, he goes now back to Jerusalem, and David wants him to go back to kind of be his eyes and his ears, to be a spy, if you will, to let David know what's happening in Jerusalem because Absalom is taking up residence on his throne. In fact, Absalom, at the, at the advice of Ahithophel, who was a, a, a wonderful um, counselor to David, Ahithophel gives Absalom this really bad advice. And he says, hey, you want to be king? Well, you better go through with it. Go in right on top of the, on the palace and take your father's ten concubines and we'll set up a tent up there, and you go in and you be with them. And you know what I mean by that. Have intercourse with them and seal the deal. Because once that happens, then Absalom will have crossed the Rubicon. There's, no, there's, a, there's a point of no return now for his fate and what his intentions are. And so he does that. And then we find out in chapter 17 that Ahithophel says, well, let me now choose uh, 12,000 men and go and go after David while he's still fleeing because David and his people were still on their way down into the Jordan Valley. And Ahithophel's like, if we catch him right now, we can kill, uh, we, can, we can just, uh, just give me 12,000 men and I'll make sure that only David is killed, is basically what he's saying. We'll do a surgical hit. <laughs> we'll go after David. We'll leave everybody alone. We'll get him and then Hushai, David's friend, comes to Absalom and he says, you know what, that's not a bad thing, but I think you ought to go for the whole thing. Don't show weakness. Show great strength and go after everybody. Kill them all and show yourself that you're a strong man and show yourself that you're the king who now reigns. And Absalom goes, mm, I like that idea better. And what, is, what happens is we see Ahithophel, once he... A very proud man, his, his, his words were always like gold to Israel. A very proud man, a very smart man, full of wisdom. He realizes that Absalom is not going to take his counsel, which would have been the better thing, wouldn't it have been? I mean, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, you get one person versus Hushai's device, or, uh, advice, which was to kill everybody, including David. It would be so much easier just to go after one. So his advice was good and bad. But Hushai says, you know what? Why don't you give it some time? Amass the army from Dan to Beersheba. Get everybody together and overwhelm them and just desecrate everything and kill them all. And so Absalom, in his pride, he says, yes, that's what I'll do. And Ahithophel, being so wounded now in his pride, he goes back to his house and he kills himself. He hangs himself because his, his advice was scorned, perhaps for the first time in all of his history. And so that's what happens. But you may think to yourself, well, Hushai, that sounds like a really bad thing for him to do since he was the king's friend. But Hushai knew that if he gave David time, that's what he was, by giving that advice to the king, to Absalom would give David a lot more time. And he knew David, and he knew David with time on his hands would develop a strategy, a military strategy, and he would gather all, a bunch of men to himself, and that's exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. In fact, uh, it tells us that um, 
that while Hushai was in the palace uh, with Absalom, that, Abs- or that Hushai, once he found out the intentions of the king, he would tell a young lady, a young servant girl, and she would take that message to Zadok and Abiathar's two sons, Ahimaaz and Jonathan, who were actually on the outskirts of the town, right there to the south of the Zion, there was a, a place, it was a spring, it was called Enrogel, and that's where these men, they stayed there waiting for word from Hushai, who was on the inside. And so Hushai would tell Zadok and Abiathar, Abiathar would tell this young lady to send a message to their sons outside the city. Then the two sons would take that message and run and tell David, and that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. So now David understands that he's got more time now. He's got plenty of time to, while, while Absalom is dreaming with stars in his eyes about this great, horrible bloodshed that he's going to unleash upon David and all those who followed him, that just gave David more time to be stronger. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. And so David does. He goes to that town that it used to be Ishbosheth's uh, hometown or a place that he would call his military headquarters after the death of Saul, Ishbosheth being a son of Saul. So David now goes to this very same place, and it's a, a really wonderful place there on the Jabbok River, again, midway between the, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. The Jabbok River runs from west to south, or, or excuse me, west to east, and this impregnable city is surrounded by rocks, and it's, it's, a, it's a great place if you want to uh, have as a fortress to gain an army and, have a, and come out from there. It's a great strategic location. That's why David chose it. And so that brings us to chapter 18. And let's read through chapter 18, and then we're going to go back and just look at some things. So look at with me after all of this. It says, So David numbered the people who were with him, and they set, and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. And then David set out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab, one-third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Itai, the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I will also surely go out with you myself. But the people answered, and they said, You shall not go out, for if we flee away, they will not care about us, nor if half of us die, will they care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us now, for you are more now more help to us in the city. And so the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. And so the king stood beside the gate there in Mahanaim, and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Etai, saying, and notice this, this is very important, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. I, I just, uh, I'm amazed at David. You know, having this son who is vehement on coming after him, taking over his kingdom, and, and wanting to kill him, David, always this compassionate, loving, gracious man. David was not a bloodthirsty man. Now, his nephews, Joab and Abishai, they were, but David was not. He was one of these men, even when his enemy would come after him, he didn't try to kill him. He had many opportunities, if you remember when we were in 1 Samuel, he had many, uh, at least two or three opportunities to kill Saul, and he would not. I mean, he, he had the ability to take Saul out, this enemy who had been pursuing him 
like a, like a lion chasing a gazelle, you know, in the Sahara. That, that's what Saul was, chasing David. And he would not touch him. And David was just that, that kind of ilk to just say, you know what, I am not going to take matters in my own hands. If I'm going to battle, I'll fight. And he was a valiant warrior. But other than that, David would not kill a man just to kill a man. He wouldn't kill a man out of jealousy and hatred, although he killed uh, Uriah, and that was his, one of his greatest mistakes, we know. But David changed. David changed after that. But notice, so David said to these three generals, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king uh, gave, all captains, gave all the captains orders concerning Absalom. And so the people went out into the field of battle against Israel. And the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. And the people of Israel were overthrown before uh, the servants of David, and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day, for the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside, and the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And then Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode on a mule. Now take note of this. The mule went under the thick bows of, the, of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth, so he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went onward. Now a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. And so Joab said to the man who told him, you, you just saw him? And why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you ten shekels of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, Though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not rise my hand, raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Atai, saying, Beware, lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life, and for there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. Sounds like a lot of uh, good camaraderie there, right? A lot of trust and brotherly love. <laughs> Not. <laughs> then Joab said, I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears or darts in his hand. Some, say, some uh, uh, translations say javelins in his hand, and he thrust him through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. And, tongue, and the ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom, and struck him and killed him. And so Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing Israel. For Joab held back the people, and they took Absalom, and they cast him into a large pit in the woods, and laid a very large heap of stones over him. And then all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. Now Absalom, in his lifetime, had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. Uh, for he said, I have no son to keep my, my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name, and to this day it is called Absalom's Monument. And why don't we uh, just stop right there and go back to the beginning, and we'll finish the chapter as we get into it. Notice back in verse 1 there, it says that David numbered the people. The idea here is that he mustered them together. He examined them. He, uh, he graded them. He, he got them ready for battle. That is the idea. So he, he numbered the people who were with him, set captains of thousands, captains of hundreds. And notice in verse 2, it, it tells us that Joab and Abishai and Itai, uh he set three different companies under these three men, these three generals. 
See, David, just like any wise general or military leader, would have those whom he trusted to be over his army, people who were the most loyal to him. David would have it no other way. And in fact, if you look at David's life, he was always seeking those who were most loyal to him. And any person who was a king or even in a company is always looking for people who are loyal to him. Regardless of the pieces that fall, regardless of the, uh, of, the, of the chatter and the gossip, regardless of all that, when everything falls apart, the men who are, and women who are going to stay with you, those are the people that you can trust. And David knew that these men, they were bloodthirsty men, they were his relatives. At least Joab and Abishai, they were brothers, and they were David's nephews. But this man, Atei, is interesting because it tells us that he came, he was a, a man of Gath, which, remember, Gath was the city of Goliath. When David killed Goliath, David, uh, or Goliath came from Gath. And you recall that even when David was running from the Philistines, or running from Saul, he, he, he made himself confederate with the Philistines. Do you remember that when we were looking at that in chapter 29 of 1 Samuel? And, um, and he was confederate with Achish, the king of Gath. And David was almost going to go to war against his own countrymen, but the, saint, the, the people of uh, the, the, the lords of the Philistines says, you know what, we don't trust this guy because when we get into battle, he's going to turn around and he's going to fight against us. And, and so, remember, Achish sent him. He said, David, I'm sorry, I trust you. These guys don't, but you've got to go. So he tells David to go about 80 miles south down to Ziklag, which is in the northern part of Israel. And, and so that's what happened at that time. But this man at Atei was one of those Philistines. And there was something about David that Atei said, you know what, I can follow this man. He's not one of my people. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Jew. He's a Hebrew. But when I compare Achish, and I look at David. David was the ones who went out and fought all of Achish's battles, and that's what gained this trust between Achish and David. And this man, Atei, we don't know much about him other than that he was um, loyal to David. And when David left, he followed him, and he went with him. He wanted to be servant to David. And you think about that. Even when the enemy's troops are going and serving you, and they were saying there was probably uh, two, between two or 200 or 600 men from Gath that came with him to serve David. The enemy's army comes to serve. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? But that's who this man Atei was. And, and again, a very common strategy to divide the armies up into three. We see Gideon doing that in Judges 7, verse 16, when he sent out three groups of 100 to go against the Midianites. Remember the pitchers and the, and the, and the lamps? He sent out three different groups, three groups of a hundred, a very common strategy. We see it also, Saul doing the same thing in 1 Samuel chapter 11. But notice in verse 3, back in our text, says, But the people answered, You shall not go out, because they were afraid, again, that they would get a hold of David. And that's, they knew that that's all that they wanted, was to get David. Everyone else was valueless, but he was a high-valued target. And so, verse 4, the king said to them, whatever seems right to you, that's what, I do, what I'll do. And so the king commanded, verse 5, uh, those three men, Joab, Abishai, and Etei from Gath. 
He tells them in in, in the hearing of... I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.